Hello, and welcome to Deep Impact, proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wabo's most bibliophilic work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Possession 15.x. And it's an interlude, and I'm sure we were all, you know, excitedly starting this interlude thinking, oh, who's it going to be? Who are we going to find out about? And it turns out it's just some rando. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not even worth the name. Um, and I mean, like, you know, in retrospect, I think that's really cool because you, you totally start off the interlude, as you said, being like, hmm, who is he? And trying to piece together context clues. Um, for a while I was like suspecting, um, it was going to be like the, the chauffeur, um, from the lawyers or something like, you know, oh, I, I, yeah, had all, cool. I, I had all these theories. Um, when did you but, finally click that this is just some nobody? Um, I, I, I think when he sees Rose right at the end, um, <laughs> cause he's like, yeah. oh, I don't recognize these people. And I was like, okay, well, he's not the chauffeur. Um, that was sort of the last thread I was hanging on to, but like, I, I tried to think of, um, like the any other things like I, I can't remember um with the black lamb's blood author what because there was a thing about them sort of trying to conceal their gender but i yes. can't remember which way it went um so yeah, yeah i was just trying to p- put together any diabolus but i i quite like the idea that that it is somebody who do- who doesn't get a name because it, like at, at the start you're kind of turning it into this mystery and, and you make it important and then as, so as the chapter goes on, we just realize how, in the grand scheme of things, this person is nothing. And in a lot of ways, they are quite equivalent to, to Blake and Rose. Um, but it, there's, a, there's a theme to this chapter for me of just things being a, a lot bigger than like what's going on in Jacob's Bell. Like, yeah. on, a, on a global scale, Jacob's Bell is kind of small potatoes. Um, it's not nothing, but it's not like earth-shatteringly important. um and like yeah and like i think that's sort of what this chapter started to establish for me and having someone who's a part of the lawyers but still so kind of meaningless really starts to sell that yeah i think it's also good because you know it's obvious that wabo wants to explore the lawyers a bit for this final interlude but we don't want to take away the threat of the demons or the threat of the lawyers and i think being inside for example, Mrs. Lewis's head could potentially do that if we're actually seeing what she's thinking. It's kind of, you know, she's not as scared of the demons and, you know, we could figure out what she's planning, which would be uh, potentially could spoil what's coming up later. Um, so I really yeah. do quite like the idea of just having some rando lawyer who's clearly not <laughs> anyone powerful, is obviously terrified of demons and is a great example of why you should never take this deal. <laughs> Uh, yeah no i completely agree like just being inside miss lewis's head or or one of the demons would take away a bit of the horror i think from them because we'd understand them better yes and that and that just tends to usually correlate i I think this pov is another masterstroke because it's someone who doesn't know anything so they're kind of getting onboarded like it's it's that whole thing where you try like a lot of future sci-fi stuff will include someone who's new to everything. Yeah, they're so the audience a, surrogate, right? Yeah, exactly. So there's a reason to explain everything to them. Um, so it, it like it, it's fitting that role. It, it's it's still making the lawyers feel grand because like even though this is a a lawyer focused chapter, we we don't see them that much. You know, like we yeah, if we were in Miss Lewis's head, we'd have an understanding of their inner workings um this is like this is just works on all those sorts of levels yeah 
Um, so yeah, let's uh, jump into the chapter proper, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, so our nameless point of view character walks into his kitchen and finds there is a demon there. God, I'm having flashbacks to recording the signature episodes when we're before we <laughs> before when we when we hadn't settled on a name and we we're just calling it the nameless POV. Yep. Um. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. We briefly meet Fisher here, and I'm just bringing that up because the whole Fisher part of this broke my heart. Yeah, it's pretty rough, isn't it? Um, like the second I met Fisher, I was like, "Oh, this isn't going to go well for them. They don't. They don't seem terrible." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a good metric to judge by whether they'll get a happy ending or not. Um, so I think the thing I want to touch on here is this is our first noble demon that we actually get to see in action, and it really, and this whole chapter really kind of sets apart the different tiers of demon. Um, so we've got our moats, obviously, who are things that are, you know, a pose or one of these other moats that are already pretty terrifying just by themselves. We've got our, what are referred to as mid-tier demons like Barbatorum or Ur, who are obviously incredibly powerful. (laughs) (laughs) And then we have this thing that is a step above and it's so, it's so humanoid, it's so maniacal and it's so seemingly like unfazable. um, it, not even you know. it's not even one level above Barbatorum. There's a bit of an implication that there's like a number of steps between them. Um yeah, like like did we even know that there were nobles before? I don't think we did. Like I think sort of I was kind of under the impression Barbatorum was towards the top, whereas this this really changed my understanding of that. Like yeah. M- Mahoon is, is is do you reckon that's how it's pronounced? Yeah, Mahoun. Mahoon. Mahoon, yeah, okay. Um like Mahoon's obviously like I'm assuming these nobles are sort of the top tier. That that seems to be the impression we get. Although it's never explicitly stated. Um but like I, I don't want to compare them to gods because gods feel like they're outside the angel demon yep. spectrum. But you know, in the classical sense of like a a god as a creative figure, um, so like, you know, something like the, the you know abrahamic religion god or, or like gaia or something he feels like the opposite of that like this feels like a top tier you know really destructive demon that like what's he up to like i kind of love yeah. that this this chapter at the same time as setting the demons up sets up that the stakes in the world are so much higher as well yeah um this demon basically spends the part of the story that he's in basically just torturing a guy for kicks right yeah yeah i mean just because he had the the goal to to summon him yeah fair enough to be honest <laughs> if someone calls me up this is my response <laughs> yeah uh, when you get when you get calls from telemarketers this is yeah, the demonic right? equivalent of of a telemarketer yeah yeah i'd cut off a guy's legs <laughs> um yeah I, I think it's just crazy that <laughs> How powerful they are, right? Like, we saw how big of a threat Barbatorum was, but he still had to actually, like, come up to you and attack you, whereas Mahoon, Mahoon just, like, flicks his big toe at you and your legs get chopped off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Like, there, there's so much in this that just sets him leagues ahead yes. um, of uh, of what we're sort of used to. Like, um, the, the whole shadow effect... Yes. Uh that's that's going on. Like Mahoon is is so big and powerful that it's like he, his form actually can't be contained in a human figure, but then also yeah. he he can totally pass for a human figure. It's like this 
It's like both of those messages send us ideas that he's very powerful, but also the way that there's a cognitive dissonance in there, like, like, greatens the impact. Yeah, the fact that it's paradoxical really helps land the fact how, you know, on on another level this guy is. Um, let's talk yeah. about the name Mahoon because it's it's got some interesting uh, etymology. So basically, it's a bastardization of the name Muhammad, and it it kind of came from this idea of Christians vilifying Muhammad as a a demon who inspired a false religion, right? Which is classic okay. Christianity. Um, so uh, that's that's pretty interesting. There, there's another potential where Mahoon, or also known as Old Mahoon, is is used as uh, the name of the devil in some Scottish literature. Um, so there's a few different ideas of what Mahoon could be drawing kind of cultural uh, power from, but either way, they're both quite strong, right? Either, uh, you know, the, the demon that founded Islam in Christianity's eyes, or uh, just the devil, Lucifer, you know? <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, like, it's so fun to sort of think about stuff here, like, so Mahoon, did he exist before the concept of names and took this one on? Did he have another one before and he took Mahoon to draw power from it because yep. it was somehow appropriate? Did, like, you know, same for things like Lucifer or, or, you know, as you said, like any other th- sort of thing. Like, it's so fun to try and think in the pact verse like you know are they are these beings that rose to power because of the belief in them um or yeah. are, they, are they are they other things that kind of latched onto the name and claimed it um yeah not relevant i guess but fun for me anyway yeah definitely i i do quite like the idea of it being this gray area where there are probably these powerful entities that existed but then the belief and the naming of them by humans kind of congealed them to have more defined boundaries and powers, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah, I always wondered about stuff like that. Like, that seemed to be a bit of a, like, pain point for Faisal, like some of the ways humans were now controlling them. And you wonder if it's the same for demons, like, because at the end of the day, demons still seem to answer to spirits, right? Yeah. Um. So, you know, they're not completely out, sort of, outside the system. Um. And, and obviously they... They've presumably been affected by humanity in the same way, and if there's really old ones like like Faisal was, you got to assume that pisses them off. Like, yeah. especially if it comes in the form of restrictions on their domain, as opposed to like you know enhancements to their intellect. <laughs> intellect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So back to the story. We keep going off on little tangents here, but I guess that's Sorry. what these histories arcs do, right? The history yeah. chapters they just make you want to dive into the world. Um. So Mahoon is clearly toying with his food here and is just fucking with the, the point of view. Um, and as the, our POV lies there dying, he calls out in a desperate bid to save himself to Man, Levin, and Lewis. I, lo- I love how we're a little bit tricked here into thinking that this is somewhat of a victory. Um, like Mahoon stops smiling when the names are first spoken, which like when I read it gave me this sense of, ha ah, yes, uh, you know, he's he's taking a way out but you know like i knew it wasn't going to be good but i knew it was going to well i thought it was going to be better than what mahoon was planning um and then like the way the the pov sort of takes a well he tries to take a literal stand a bit before this uh and that's when mahoon takes his legs away um like you know that that gave me this sense that he was brave and holding his ground and so i thought like the man level (sighs) call was a sort of 
con- continuation of this like you know brave heroism from this soon-to-be lawyer but uh it turns out he was just kind of fucking up at every stage yeah i mean there was a point presumably earlier on in his story where he could have avoided this entire situation but we don't get to see it um <laughs> from the time we see this pov he is basically inescapably fucked i mean there's a there's a few things that to me provide the implication that he uh maybe wasn't always a diabolist and mm. and uh moved into it and maybe even been influenced in that yes. direction uh so you know well yeah uh, should we talk about that because this is a part of the thing that comes up between man and mahoon as they start talking is um these more powerful demons basically are tricking practitioners or diabolists into fucking up and from that either you know uh, eating them, doing whatever they want with them, or forcing them into circumstances like this with the lawyers. Um, and we haven't really seen demons be tricky, but I guess we haven't seen noble demons before. So I like this idea that these noble demons are more in line with kind of traditional Christian mythology, where they will tempt you and they will uh, force you to make decisions that if you make incorrectly, you fuck yourself over. Yeah, well, I mean, the reason we probably don't hear too much about these demons that are manipulating people like this is because there's no one to tell the story. Like, well, there's, yeah, there's true. Probably not survivors. Um, yeah, like, you're right. Like, you know, the Seventh Choir comes up here in a bit, and, and we'll talk about that, but, um, like, I can totally see, like, a lesser members of the Seventh Choir, maybe even Seventh Choir imps, being, like, you know, the old crossroads demons and stuff, the things yeah. that sort of lure you into debt or or bad karma by promising you like you know short-term gains yeah uh it's not a not a (laughs) not a deal you ever want to take right um yeah and i guess it doesn't even need to be that obvious like even just in summoning a demon you're kind of making a deal with it already right um yeah yeah that's a good point um so, yeah, let's talk about the, the conversation, the dynamic that Man and Mahoon have, because as soon as Man steps into this scene, he is clearly not, he, he's a fish out of water, right? He kind of <laughs> exists separately to this chaotic world that the others seem to find themselves in. Um, and their dynamic is so interesting. It's like this old work colleagues kind of vibe where Man clearly knows Mahoon and Mahoon knows Man. And while there's a bit of kind of posturing, uh, there doesn't really seem to be any danger for man, or at least he doesn't seem to feel like he's in danger. And Mahoon even gives him permission to take uh, our point of view character away, which presumably Wait. means he either works for Mahoon or, you know, something on Mahoon's level. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I kind of got the sense that uh, the the lawyers represent a different or some other conglomerate of, yes. you know, demons, but Mahoon is up at the the level of the people running it or even above, um, yeah. particularly above man. Yeah, like I... I I, like I kind of got the impression that maybe not old work colleagues, but like acquaintances, like people who'd met a couple of times at you know work conferences, or, or you know they they'd met at stuff and they knew each other by reputation, met each other a few times. Um, you're right, man doesn't seem like he's in danger, but he also respects Mahoon. Like there's a sense of as long as he plays it right, he's fine, and that seems to be what he does. Um, and and, and again, it's creating that sense to me like the the lawyers are so big. There's a bit here where um, the lawyers are likened to a household name because man can just walk into any room and kind of compel the spirits to obey him. Yeah. Um, and and so while this chapter is doing so much to build up the lawyers, it's also not building them up as, you know, the puppeteers of the entire world. Like there's a <laughs> lot going on here that Mahoon is doing just without them. Tells tells him basically to fuck off when man tries to pry. Like they're they're not. 
they're not everything. The the lawyers are powerful. Yes. They're kind of all over the place, but they're not running the world or anything. Yeah, I guess this chapter does some interesting things there where it, one says to us, yes, these lawyers are obviously associated with strong demons, but they're not, you know, infallible. They are limited in their power. But yeah. also it sets up that <laughs> there's a whole new class of noble demon that's so far beyond what we've seen. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's like there's there's so much going on in this chapter to set it, the world up as being so much bigger and more powerful than anything we've seen. Everything we've dealt with in this story so far has been at best a moderate level thing. Yeah. There's all these big things over there, but they're, they're also, they're not completely organized. Like there's not, you know, it's not puppeteers pulling the strings of the whole world. There's yeah. huge powers. Like the lawyers have, have very much been set up, especially in this chapter to be so far beyond the capability of our little ragtag team, including Faisal. Um, but, you know, not in the sense that they're literally all the demons or they can call all the demons and, you know, they're, they're completely unbeatable. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that's uh, good. That offers us some hope. Yeah, but, well, I mean, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, sure. There's some hope that it will be shortly dashed. Um, so uh, after Man and Mahoon have spoken for a while, uh, Man eventually has our point of view character agree to serve for somewhere between five to six hundred years. Um, but if that wasn't bad enough, he also has to give over his familiar. Uh, no. Which is horrible. Um, <laughs> but obviously our point of view doesn't have any choice. So um, Yes, he does. Well, I guess he could choose to just kind of die. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so what happens to this familiar now? I don't want to know. Yeah. Let's not even talk about it. It's it's unspeakably bad, um, and so we shall not speak of it. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I, the one thing it made me think was, oh, wow, I'm really glad Blake never took the deal now because I can't imagine Evan have to be kind of betrayed into this. Like, that's so fucking horrible. I just heard 30 seconds of silence then. I don't know about everyone else. I choose to ignore everything that was just hinted at. Yeah, I, can't, right, I, right. I don't even want to picture it. Fair enough. Evan's a good boy, and he's fine. Um, well, he's into murder and stuff at the moment, which isn't great, but anyway. Um, yeah, it's funny, like, this whole thing with Fisher, part of me wanted to assume that Fisher was probably something awful because it was like, you know, he's a diabolist. Well, familiar, yeah, I'm right? sure Fisher is probably something not great. But, like, I mean, you know, the text sort of goes out of its way to make you sympathetic to Fisher. Like, I don't think Fisher yes. does anything... The worst thing Fisher does here is be a bit snarky when the demon first shows up, but it totally feels like, you know, that sort of compensating, um, hiding behind humor type thing. Like, I feel like everything in here made me endeared to Fisher. Yeah. Um, including the fact that he's just a cute little toad. Um, and, and so you feel the loss, like, when the Diabolist just, like, why do you say yes? Like, that was the <laughs> bit where it's like, no, come on, this is not the right thing to do. Yeah. But, uh, it's done, so... Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, man takes off our point of view and starts teaching him about demons, and we as the audience are eagerly listening for any clues that might be useful <laughs> to help uh, Blake and Rose out of their terrible situation. I but... got so excited when this bit started. <laughs> I was like, yes, like, you know, plug it directly into my veins. Yeah. Um, and there's some good info, but I don't think anything that's actionable for Blake and Rose. Um, except some nice world building around demon speech, weirdly, and which this kind of rings true because Barbie and Er both, we haven't seen them speak, um, which very much fits their categorization as mid-tier. So uh, just keep your eyes out for talking demons. Yeah, it's one of those great bits of world building where like Wobbo's clearly known that this was a feature of the world since the beginning because 
everything we've seen has kind of lined up with it. And and yeah. then he's just like only sort of explicitly dropping it on us, dro- dropping it on us now. Um, yeah, I I I I kind of took an actionable item from this, which is that the speech was just one example. Is something that man says. So it's like you can use some of the capabilities of demons to try and categorize how powerful they are, right? Yeah, um, that like, that's what I've taken away from this. Like, so you know, something like speech is is a bit inverted. So I'm gonna try and. If we meet some more demons next arc, which I guess seems probable, um, I'm going to be keeping an eye out for what no, like normal everyday seeming capabilities they have to try and gauge how powerful they might actually be. Yeah, that's a fair point. I, I guess the more human they seem, the more you have to be worried about them, right? That seems to ring true with Mahoon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, you know, the, the speech is the example used, but you could think about something like taking human form. Mahoon is the closest we've seen to a demon just being able to take human form. The other closest thing tends to be the imps who are like disgusting baby things. So again, it's that there's that kind of inversion on like I guess how how like humans are perceived. I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah. like the there's a bit of an inversion on form and the human body there. Um it's maybe the theories I'm working out now aren't as clean as the speech one, but yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, we'll keep an eye out, I suppose. Uh, so, man and our point of view are joined by a woman who seems to be uh, what will become Mrs. Lewis, um, and she gives him some yeah. kind of warnings about what he's in for before man basically leaves our point of view in her hands. Yeah, she's so nice. Like, you know, I love Mrs. Lewis. Yeah, this she's nice, so helpful, isn't this she? This nice demon lawyer. She's yeah. just, she's not that bad for a demon lawyer. Yep, she's all right. Um so end of chapter. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she she talks to him and she says, "I want to read out this section um, where she says to him, how many demonic nobles do you think you'll run into in the next five hundred and seventy-ish years?'" His eyes went wide. What? I'm asking you to guess because you will be crossing paths with them. He couldn't speak. Horror had stolen his words. And uh, I, don't, I mean, I mean, I, I do still feel bad for him, but I'm pretty sure our point of view character here is an idiot. Because I don't know what oh, yeah. <laughs> he thought he'd be doing when he took this deal, but obviously it involves working with demons and diabolists. Like, that's so obviously what this job description entails. And uh, I, it's basically explicitly confirmed by Mrs. Lewis that she thinks he's an idiot later. So I quite like that. <laughs> he's just, just, you got to be a real dingus to get yourself into this situation. Yeah, but I mean, this... This is the thing, right? It it was hard to think straight in the situation he was in. Um, so he did not consider a lot of these factors. And uh, I mean, the whole thing there is like, we already touched on this. This guy just seems to have made the wrong decision every step of the way. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what they're preying on is the kinds of people who are going to end up in the situation where they need the lawyers are the types who are using demons for short-term games. Like yep. it's basically, it, it's short-sighted people who are going to end up in the situation where the lawyers can offer them this deal and they're going to be like, oh, I oh, know, like, I don't want to be killed by this demon. I'll take your offer. And then it's like, well, you know, you dumbass. You just signed up for yeah. however many hundreds of years of, like, even worseness. Yeah, it's um, just basically setting yourself up for 500 years of torture, right? Yeah. And, and I think the other thing, like, the other reason that I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily get to take the time to consider this is, like the lawyers are very good at presentation. Like they they all come across as very prim and and proper. Like th- there's sort of this false sense of 
that this stuff doesn't get to them. Well, as yeah, much as... we saw man kind of existing outside of the scene that he was summoned into, right? Exactly. So it's easy to, to make that uh, leap of logic and think, well, he can just be unaffected by the horribleness of these demons. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, we, we see all this stuff, like, you know, we learn here about the whole not eating or needing to sleep, which is that, you know, that seems cool. Yep, I'm sure um, giving up parts of your humanity doesn't have any downside. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. And, um, yeah, like, you know, you can't be killed or stuff and stuff. So there is this sort of idea that you're sort of like, oh, they get protections from the bad sides of demons. But it's like, it, I, I'm sure they get some sort of physical ones, uh, but I doubt there's any sort of mental protections offered, except maybe something that literally prevents you from going insane with the knowledge. Yeah. So you're just you're just stuck being able to comprehend it and and your brain just can't like you know melt itself um like you know these these older practitioners are just kind of better at hiding how much it's affecting them which is probably something they've they've been you know taught to do well either they're better at hiding how much it's affecting them or only the really fucked up ones last long enough to to become a man or a lewis right well i don't know about that because I don't think you get out of this regardless of how well you're coping with it. Like if anything, sure. the fact that you're if like if anything, the fact that you're not coping means it's gonna keep you around in certain situations. Yeah, um, fair enough, I suppose. I, I think I think like a bigger factor in becoming like, you know, a higher partner has to do with uh, how much debt you had coming in. Right. Yeah, fair enough. Um so in that regard, Blake would probably find himself in a pretty nice position after a while. Well, doesn't he have over three thousand years worth of contracts lined up in front of him? Like that's uh Yeah. That's not ideal. <laughs> um so Mrs. Lewis takes our point of view character to visit Granny Rose, and she of course immediately starts tormenting him <laughs> in her classic way. But also Miss Lewis, like I like Rose just knocks it out of the park here because her stubborn assholery is very enjoyable when it's aimed at like Miss Lewis and the lawyers, you know, like her just yeah. kind of shutting Miss Lewis down and leveraging this tiny bit of influence she has over them is just very fun. <laughs> yeah, and again, I said this last chapter, but every time we interact with Rose, I, I like her more and more, right? Um, she's so blunt with this poor character, but obviously he needs a bit of bluntness and he needs a bit of somebody that is n- not being slimy to him somebody that is just there to deliver him a hard truth yeah well, and i mean granny lewis kind of uh, so granny rose <laughs> granny calls lewis out... oh interesting mashup <laughs> yeah it's my new theory um no granny rose kind of calls out mrs lewis on the sense that you know molly coddling him isn't helping here. yeah yeah and of course you know very on brand for for granny rose yep that's um, her, that's on her tombstone <laughs> <laughs> um of course you know Giving people nothing isn't any better than Molly coddling, I'd say Rose. But um, you know, like she could have she could have given Blake and Rose just fucking anything, some hard truths. Yeah, would have been would have been great. Yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, Granny Rose delivers a bit of a truth bomb here about Mrs. Lewis, which is that um, she's basically like a super Hitler, right? That's that's more or less what <laughs> Granny Rose says. Um, she has done horrible things and likes to play professional but is basically a psychopath yeah i i i was using the same terminology i don't know if i'm still in media md mode from yesterday yeah but uh like it, it 
gave me those same vibes of this idea that she is putting on an act because it helps her fit in and like frankly miss miss lewis's position just lets her control everyone better i imagine like the she's this kind of psychopath who's climbing up the ladder and not playing nice because it actually helps her in a job like like is often sort of cited as being a thing in real life but just because like she can fuck with this guy by pretending to be nice to him yeah um, she just enjoys doing stuff like this because she seems yeah she's like she's like the packed exaggerated version of of regular old psychopathy well yeah i i genuinely think she probably views it in this very sociopathic way of i'll be nice to this person because politeness is a very small amount of social currency that i'm earning with them right maybe i'll earn their trust and that will give me a moment of advantage in a time when i need it yeah i i, see, I don't even know if i'd phrase it like that it's more that she's just like i'm going to be nice to them so they trust me and then it will hurt more later when <laughs> things go badly yeah maybe it is just uh, like, that I, not even I, for her I, own I, advantage <laughs> just for her own amusement Yes, yeah, that's kind of, like, I don't, there's, there's no need for her to kind of exert more power over this guy, especially she's about to be named partner, you know, she, there's no, there's no situation where it's like, she's, she doesn't have complete power over him anyway, it's just like, she just wants to fuck with them more. Yep. Um, like, I think she, she mentions, um, uh, and, and like, this comes up a bit later, like, she, she mentions here that Mahoon wasn't going easy on our, on our practitioner, even though yeah. man said he was. Yeah. And I think that's because... Something that it's established is Mahoon was ramping things up so that he could slowly grind away the hope from the practitioner. Like he didn't yeah. want to just kill him; he wanted to torture him and take away his hope. And I think that's just the way Miss Lewis operates as well. Like the <laughs> the reason she thinks Mahoon wasn't going easy is because this is what she does as well, which is just fuck you up in the long term because that provides her with more fun. Yeah, um, yeah, which is. Well, interesting. I remember last chapter you mentioned there was a theory that Mrs. Lewis is going easier on Blake because she likes him. <laughs> and uh, this is the reveal of what seems to be the reason that she's going easier on him. Yeah, and like, you could have maybe written it off as like, oh, that's just Rose's opinion. Um, I probably wouldn't have been inclined to do that. But the fact that uh, Levin at the end of the yes. chapter kind of backs it up. And is sort of like, oh man, she's holding back just to fuck with them. Like, God, she's so like, you know, yeah. Could, could she just get it over with? Uh, it's like, you know, it it just sort of blew or dashed away any doubt in my mind that yeah, she's she's fucked up. She's holding back because that makes it more fun for her. Um, what a what a fantastic psycho. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we jump ahead six years, and our our point of view character, as well as a bunch of other lawyers, have been kind of called in to deal with this check spell situation. Um, Mrs. Lewis basically decides, okay, time to stop playing around, and has Mur, one of these imps, summon uh, some familiar faces. Yep. Um. You know, there was a sense at the end of last chapter for me that things were starting to turn around a little bit, and we were going to get, you know, a few hours before the next attack or something yep. um no 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 dice uh yeah <laughs> before we dive into that though uh, there was this funny line that i really liked where the the point of view character notes that years with the firm had given him cause to quickly uh, to learn to quickly identify possession with his sight and just makes me think man what have you been up to these past six years dude like <laughs> you must have been having a pretty <laughs> horrible time yeah well i think what's funny is uh one of the things he says right at the start is um that Mahoon like got his family to let the demons in and you know yeah. like I, I got the impression that they all got possessed by demons. Yes. Um so you think 
that would have taught him to use the site for the possession, but it's kind of like, I think this is reinforcing that whole idea of he signed himself up for 570 years of even worse version of the shit he was trying to escape. Like, in the last six years, he's seen even more and even worse possessions than losing his entire family to the same thing. Yep, it's been a fun six years. But hey, there's a, a good side, which is only 564 years left. <laughs> Not flying by. <laughs> yep. Um, so yeah, uh, Levin calls uh, Mrs. Lewis a sadist, which I, I guess is a, a fun explanation for why she was just using imps. Um, and she starts going all out. Mer summons Fell, Callum, Laird, and some more. And yeah, it looks like things are going off the rails, but uh, Fell's back, so that's good. Yay! Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, totally back. Very normal. Yep. Um, the lawyers just want to trade him for Rose. It's I'd take very that simple, deal, to be honest. Very real. I would um, trade Fell for Rose in a heartbeat. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I, I, I talked about this in our Discord, but you know, like, I'll eat a shoe if this is actually just them. Um, well, get, get that shoe ready, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> um there's a line about no tricks and uh, the I, I don't know like i just yeah, yeah there's a line about no tricks while mrs lewis crosses her fingers behind her back <laughs> no it's not a trick i promise um i like i i think yeah i mean i guess for me the world would be more fucked if even an imp could d- dip into the afterlife like this because <laughs> like the imp can't create things that that's been pretty yeah. well established by the story so i was like okay well either like an imp has just pulled a bunch of people from the afterlife, which just seems way too powerful for an imp. Yeah. Um. Like that would that would be powerful even for a noble, in in my point of view, because it. Well, I mean, we've seen what happens to other franchises when you can just nip people out of the afterlife. Yeah. Um, it doesn't usually go well. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. I mean, like on Discord, I think the only thing I sort of came up with is I was trying to think like how it would affect Blake, and obviously he's in memory land right now. So, um, my my theory is that Mur is somehow. Like, I don't know, doing something to memories. I don't really see how that correlates to physical manifestations of them yet. But um, he can't create, so he's got to be pulling this stuff from somewhere. And I'm guessing mm. it's from memories because that means uh, Blake can get involved. Yeah, interesting. Interesting theory. Um, We'll have to see whether it pays out. Next arc. Whew. Yeah, because that's... The final arc. Yep. I just, I don't know, like, I'm... I'm starting to actually see that the end is coming, and I'm I'm both excited and you know disappointed that it's yeah. going to be over. Well, don't worry. There's a uh, what 16 chapters in Judgment, so we've oh, still really? got some time. Oh, okay, never mind. Um, but yeah, um, that's, but yeah, that's the end of uh, our discussion <laughs> of Arc 15 Possession. Before we round out our episode, though, let's um, loop back around and and talk about Possession as an arc as a whole uh, and see what we thought uh, of this arc. So, first of all, of course, we got to talk about the arc title. So possession. I mean, you know, feel like there's a pretty <laughs> obvious uh, angle here, which is uh, being possessed by a demon, uh, which happens with Johannes, and obviously this happens where Blake possesses Rose here. So this is a, a kind of level one interpretation. Um, I mean, I, I don't like your use of the term demonic possession to describe Blake inside of Rose. Um, and I'm well, sure Faisal. Yeah. I'm sure Faisal takes offense to it too, but who cares about his opinion? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I focused a bit more on the legal definition. Yeah. Like, you know, we, you know, someone will possess your house or possess your assets or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously we see a lot of stuff get possessed. Um, obviously, in this interlude, we had our nameless point of view get possessed by the lawyers um, yep. and, and his familiar, R.A.P. Fisher. Um, 
I think I think it's safe to say the abyss took possession of the of the Thorburn mansion. Yeah. This this arc, I I don't think they're getting that back. Um. So yeah, like I know there were there was a fair bit of stuff kind of being claimed by uh other other powerful institutions. This arc. Um. Similar to the idea of repossession on a on a loan, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Let's talk about this arc uh, in a bit more general terms, though, and, and talk about some of the themes and, and things that we liked uh, across this arc. Um, I think the main one for me was this arc really pays off uh, the deal that Blake made last arc to sacrifice himself for Rose, to let Rose win their contest. Um, yeah. Because, man, Rose is such a ball of this arc in terms of, like, <laughs> being selfless towards Blake. Yeah, we've talked about this a fair bit, but I am absolutely loving that, you know, this whole story, it's been you two will have to be against each other, and for a lot of it they have, and in the last arc and a bit, there's just been this trend of them being like, you know what, like, fuck that yeah, noise. Yeah, fuck that, yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm, just, I'm just so on board with it. It's such a great thing, because it's like a fuck you to the universe, which is powerful, and then it's just people teaming up like when everyone tells them to be enemies which is just very wholesome so like i just i just love it so much yeah it's very much in character for them as well to be like yeah fuck you universe we're gonna do this our own way (laughs) fuck you we're gonna be friends and we're gonna hate it but (laughs) you'll hate it more yeah um yeah yeah i like i think for me it was harder to pull out an individual theme for this arc i mean because it was such a I, I don't know recency bias is is maybe a factor this feel felt like my favorite art because it was just balls to the wall the, the yep. entire time like the library was an absolutely yeah, in, insane the, place i can't believe this arc was the one with the library that feels like it was yeah. so long ago <laughs> like I, I, that, that's the thing this is a short arc it's only eight chapters and it still had all of the library yeah and i was like well this is the coolest setting of anything ever and then the setting became rose and i was like well never mind this is even cooler yeah we um, had the wooden throne as well which i think was yeah. a really great um you know a really great chapter yeah, yeah, like, that that's the thing, like, all seven, well, no, actually, all eight chapters of this were absolutely, like, knocking it out of the park, um, yep. and, like, I I struggled to pick an individual through line for the arc, aside from the one you brought up about Blake and Rose's relationship, but I, there was a lot in this arc, like, it's a sense of, you know, this was the penultimate arc, and it started to bring everything else in, like, yep. rather than having its own sort of theme um that i could see it was more focused on bringing everything else in we talked about this at the end of last episode with the sense of toronto coming back in like you know in terms of people and themes um like all the stuff going on with with blake like so so much of blake's character sort of started to come to a head here um we've talked so much about fighting the system screwing the system uh the system's pretty screwed at this point I think it's safe to say that uh, Jacob's Bell is pretty far gone. Um, so, like, it really sort of feels like everything has sort of come together, this arc, for it to be delivered on. You know, it's like all the pieces have kind of been lined up. All the dominoes have been lined up, and Arc 16 now just gets to push them all over and kind of make whatever the the sort of thesis statements of the story uh, are going to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm excited to get into Judgment. It's going to be exciting to see how this all comes together. That's such a fantastically ominous name for the final arc, like yeah. Judgment. Yeah. I don't, like, that could go so many ways. That's just a, it's just a foreboding word. I'm so on, <laughs> I'm so on board it? with that being the last one. 
Um, but yeah, I guess uh, that's it for this episode. We'll see you soon for some judgment. Um, in the meantime, if you want to leave us your thoughts on this episode, on this show, or on our discussion question, which is pick a demon or evil spirit from any folklore and explain what it might do in Pact and which choir it might belong to. If you want to answer that question, you can find the perfect place to do that uh, linked in our show notes. That's our discussion thread, which uh, is great. So we'll see you there. <laughs> you know, sorry, something something I just sort of thought about that we didn't really touch on. There was obviously stuff with Mahoon and what choir he might have belonged yes. to because he... He said he wasn't seventh choir. Um, I think the implication there sort of being that maybe the seventh choir helped him uh, get here, mm. uh, but he he's not. And I wonder if like the nobles are sort of these higher ones that don't necessarily map to choirs. Yeah, you interesting. Know, this is this is packed. Labels are dangerous. I wonder if these higher ones not only resent the concept of choirs because it's the world trying to categorize them and limit them, but like maybe some of them get to rise above it. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Uh, we'll have to see if Mahoon comes back. <laughs> I mean, well, at this point, what else could save them but a noble or whatever the angel equivalent is? Not that I understand why any anything like that would. Yeah. But like, wait, there's a real sense here that, like, I don't understand how they can beat the lawyers. Um, <laughs> I mean, I said the same thing in, in Arc 27 of Worm. Um, so like, I, I have, I have faith that Wilbur will find a way to make it sort of feel justified, but I'm wondering if it's like, you know, are we going to take a third option? That's Blake and Rose's favorite thing to do. Yeah. Um, is it going to be a way to get out of this without beating them? Like, I don't know. I'm so, I'm so excited. I have no idea how this final confrontation is going to go down. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to see. No comment. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Back, back to the outro. <laughs> yep. Sorry. Whew, let's wrap it up. I'm trying to cram more episode into the episode. Yeah. Wait um, for next time. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, well, if, if if you still want more episode and mm-hmm. you're sad that this episode's ending, head on over to doofmedia.com. There's a bunch of other shows there. And so you can like start a whole other episode. And that, you know, they're they're honestly, they're all longer than ours, if you could believe it. Um, Kingslingers came out yesterday. We talked about that a few days ago. Go check it out. Yep. Um, if you're not into podcasting and you want something more visual, uh, we've got a Doof and Chill coming up later today uh yes. if you're in america um and what are we, we're playing that we're doing AI, AI dungeon, dungeon yeah yeah which um i i was playing around with it today to kind of learn how it works and it it's going to be very fun i think yes. Matt was right that uh getting getting a group of us like you know us and and everyone who comes on to sort of play around with it together is going to be a lot of fun because you kind of you kind of get to let the AI be the dungeon master, except you're trying to fight it. It's very fun. Yes. Uh, so if you don't know what AI dungeon is, that's fine. I didn't either, and I still don't really. But uh, I've been seeing some screenshots of it, and it looks great. So um, come <laughs> join us for this stuff and chill. Uh, to get access to this stuff and chill session, actually, you are going to need to be a Patreon. Uh, not a patron, a patron. Um, you need to support the Doof Media Network for uh, ten dollars a month or more, and you'll get access to. Wait, oh, no, no, $5 just, a month. Just five, yeah. Yes. You have to be a doof dancer. A doof dancer, a yes. Uh, you'll get access to not just all the stuff at the $1 level, that's thrown in for free for you, but also access to our different chill streams where we just hang out every month and do cool stuff like this AI dungeon thing. Yep. Uh, and, you know, we've said it before. We'll say it again uh, for at least another arc. Yeah. Wabo has a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Wabo. Uh, you know, he, he trades your money for stories. Yep. Uh, it's a better deal than you're going to get out of the demon lawyers. That's for sure. Yep. Uh, 
I mean, I don't know. That actually, well, that's not a very high bar. It's a well, much, much better deal yeah, than that because it's a good deal. The problem is Wabo signed himself up for 570 years of writing web serials <laughs> and he needs your support to make it happen, guys. <laughs> so head to patreon.com forward slash Wabo. Um, yeah. And so apart from that, we'll see you on Monday, 27th of January, as we dive into Judgment 16.1. Bye. Bye.